All right, it's Wednesday. What do they they call Wednesday? That's Hump Day, isn't it? Yeah. I think I. <laughs> All right, yesterday. Okay, I think I've gone too far. I, I want everyone to know that I think I may have gone too far, but I'm not going to repent in the truest sense of the word repent because I. Sometimes you just need a hothead like me to help other people get the right idea. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hi, yi yi. Okay, in yesterday's show, we were talking about Julia Dewin's book, um, and we're listening to a soundbite from Julia Dewin about, uh, about her book called Quitting Church, and she was basically saying that people are leaving because uh, the stuff they're getting in church is basically juvenile, it lacks any depth, it's Christianity for newbies, and it never moves beyond the newbie stage, and uh, and people are leaving in droves, and so I made the suggestion that pastors should... Uh, good faithful pastors should consider going on the attack, that they need to consider getting some marketing pieces out there to the people who are quitting church to let them know, hey, you don't have to starve to death in church. And, um, you know, we, we actually preach God's word and we'll, we'll, we'll actually give you a meal. And so one of the ideas that I had was to take uh, the photograph from Andersonville of that uh, Union soldier who was starving to death in Andersonville and uh, put it on a postcard and, and, you know, with a basic message that we'll give you, you know, are you starving to death in church? And, and so what I did is I spent a little time in Photoshop today and put it together and um, posted it at fightingforthefaith.com. And every time I see it, I crack up because it's so wrong. <laughs> the postcard, the front of the postcard has that picture of that poor guy starving to death. I mean, he's all skin and bones. And it says, does your pastor refuse to feed you God's word? <laughs> you know, the backside, this is, this is just a suggestion. I, I put this out as a think piece in the hopes that it will spur somebody to find the, the appropriate postcard. <laughs> yeah, apparently, apparently the sun is melting my brain when I'm out of my kayak. Um, yeah, the, the paddle-driven boat, that's, that's its name now. The, the back side of the card says, are you famished because your pastor barely teaches from God's word, if at all? And if you're starving, if you're starving to hear and learn God's word and the comforting message of the gospel, then come to XYZ Church. Yeah, I put it just as this is a this is a concept piece. Uh, our pastors, unlike those relevant feel good pastors, actually obey Christ's command to feed his sheep. Come and taste what you've been missing. XYZ Church, you know, and then you. Uh, I gotta admit, though, it's it's a little over the top, <laughs> even by my standards. And every time I see it, I crack up because why I crack myself up. So it's there if you would <laughs> like to chime in, let me know that how I've uh, overdone it this time at fightingforthefaith.com. Fightingforthefaith.com. The headline reads: "Time for faithful pastors to go on the attack." I think this is the, just consider this a advertising concept piece. And uh, but I, I would love for a good faithful pastor to come up with something that that gets the message out and isn't quite so in your face. <laughs> because see, this is the reason why I do pirate Christian radio. Because pirate Christian radio, you you can get into people's faces. But this is why I'm not a pastor because I lack certain sensibilities. <laughs> tack, tack. That's what it is. Yeah, I forgot to stand in that line uh, when God was handing out different gifts and, and attitudes. I 
completely forgot to stand in the tact line. So you will see my tactlessness in its full glory if you want to see the postcard. <sighs> Roseboro. I need to go buy some tact somewhere. Is there a tact store? Wait, that's that's the place where you buy supplies for your horses, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, the the Reverend Samuel uh, Schulteis from uh, Hun- uh, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach writes, Thanks for the excellent show. It's uh, really great to listen to. I'm a former student of Rod Rosenblatt and appreciate the work that you are doing on your show. I was wondering if Pirate Christian Radio had any bumper stickers or other things of that nature. We're working We're working on putting together a pirate Christian booty section. And uh, no, uh, that's not the shake, 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 shake your booty kind of booty, but pirate booty. And um, it's a treasure trove of, of pirate Christian radio merchandise, which will include T-shirts. It will include hats. It will include... Um, are we, we're putting together a coin, I think, too, a Pirate Christian Radio coin, which I'm going to use as my business card when it's all done. And, you, John, you had a great idea. Rather than calling it Pieces of Eight, we're going to call it Pieces of Grace. So um, all of this stuff is coming. I think internally uh, we, we've had to uh, wrestle with the idea. We don't want anyone to think this is Jesus junk. This is truly Pirate Christian Radio junk. And it it's just to show your support for Pirate Christian Radio and to put money into our coffers. That's really all it's about. It's about us making obscene amount of money in, so that we can continue to put Pirate Christian Radio together. Don't think for a second this isn't about profit or that we're somehow being uh, altruistic in trying to get the message out. Oh, no, 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 no. The, the whole part of the Pirate Christian Radio treasure chest and the booty that we're going to be selling, it's all about money. You know, to offset our costs and continue broadcasting. So, um, uh, and by the way, he says, uh, P.S., can you post pictures of the FJ Cruiser online? It sounds awesome with the rap. Um, I have posted those up there, uh, 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 Pastor uh, Sam. Uh, they're at ExtremeTheology.com, and I'll go ahead and put a post up at uh, FightingForTheFaith.com and post the pictures there as well. Uh, so that you can see the FJ Cruiser. And if you're a member of the Wittenberg Trail, there you can see them there. Or if you want to look me up at Facebook, uh, I, I'm on Facebook. My uh, son encouraged me to join the 21st century. Even though I'm a, tech, a techie guy and I'm a geek, I had resisted the Facebook thing. And so um, you can find – I have them there at Facebook on my profile. So if you would like to send me a friend request, I'm looking for friends because as a nerd, I don't have very many. Um, <laughs> send me a friend request and I'll sit there and go, oh, goody, I have a friend. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll accept you as my friend and then you can see my profile and, and the pictures of the FJ Cruiser. <sighs> okay. All right. Now, I've got a gentleman who, who emailed me from a Muslim country and for safety purposes requested that I not mention his name. But he writes, he says, uh, Chris, I thoroughly enjoy your podcast. I live I, I live and work overseas in a Muslim country, and I'm planting some seeds, hoping one day for a harvest. Amen. You know what? I've got to I got to give kudos to somebody who's willing to literally put their life on the line. And you know, being in a Muslim nation as a Christian is not is not a safe proposition, regardless of whether or not that Muslim nation is on good terms with the United States or not. And Islam is extremely hostile to the gospel. So I got to thank you for uh, being willing to uh, literally put your life on the line 
and uh, you know, and, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a Muslim nation. And he says, I also happen to be a Southern Baptist, and I want you to know that there are plenty of us who don't follow the purpose-driven philosophy. Amen. I know, I know quite a few Southern Baptist pastors who, uh, who read my websites, listen to this program, and uh, who absolutely agree with, uh, with you that they, are, that they are resisting these purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive methods because they see that as literally, right now, that's, the line that ha- that's where the battle line is for the future of the church. And um, and they are resisting it and not going that way. Instead, are faithfully opening up their Bible. And so I'm very happy to hear from our Christian brothers in the Southern Baptist Church, regardless of where you are in the world, that you're uh, standing against this and haven't bought into the purpose-driven methods. And he says, uh, you mentioned during your commentary on Julia Dewan's clip that there are a lot of purpose-driven uh, churches in the SBC. No doubt there are. But the majority don't subscribe to that philosophy. So he says, anyway, keep up the good work. And uh, he says... I st- he says, P.S., I still can't believe that I went to the same seminary as Rick Warren. What happened to him? I didn't learn that stuff when I was there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. All right, now, Ben writes, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that makes you, this is the kind of stuff that conspiracy theories are made from. Are you ready for this? Ben writes, Green Letter Bible, published by HarperCollins. The Satanic Bible, published by HarperCollins. Zondervan, open, uh, uh, owned by HarperCollins. Dun, dun, dun. It gets worse. <laughs> he writes, guess who publishes the lesbian couple's guide? The children are free re-examining the biblical evidence on same-sex relationships. The transgender study reader, God is not great. How religion poisons everyone in my personal favorite pole dancing to gospel hymns. I'll give you a hint. I've emailed you twice about this publisher. Hmm. Could it be Harper Collins? Now this, I've got a, you know, because I uh, own a radio station, Pirate Christian Radio, we radio stations are able to, you know, contact publishers and get, you know, like preview books. I definitely want to get this one, pole dancing to gospel hymns. That is one we need to have in our library. <sighs> yeah. No, actually, we don't. That's ridiculous. What, what kind? What? Pole dancing to God? Is pole dancing like a new... Is it like the new Christian yoga thing? <laughs> ben continues. A third email I received from him. By the way, I received these emails from Ben via encrypted messaging. Yeah, because this is this is conspiracy, says he says the plot thickens. Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Shane Claiborne's, Dan Kimball's, and Rick Warren's books books published by Zondervan, owned by Harper Collins. Hmm. Did you know that uh, all of those are owned by Rupert Murdoch? Did you know that Rick Warren's a member of the Council for Foreign Relations? That's true. He's a member of the CFR. CFR has as its stated goal the creation of a one-world government. You conspiracy theorists can connect all the dots for us there, and please let me know if there are any black helicopters circling above Pirate Christian Radio. <sighs> all right. Continuing with the Green Bible, the listener email. We've been getting inundated with email. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> this Matt writes, and, he wrote, and, it says, and it says via iPod. 
He sent me an a- email via his iPod. I bet you he has one of those really spiffy iPod touches. Right? Yeah. See, yeah, I've got an iPhone and I have an iPod touch. And I was really ex- <laughs> I'm really excited. This okay, nerd moment warning. Um yeah, super nerd moment coming out here. Um I was really excited when I was able to change the album artwork for the Fighting for the Faith pod- podcast. I put the you know, the new elements, the design elements from the FJ Cruiser and now the ones on the website. I actually made new album artwork for the Fighting for the Faith podcast and it looks fantastic on an iPhone or an iPod touch. It makes us look so ridiculously professional. And uh, those of you who visited uh, the Pirate Christian Radio Studio will realize that our graphics far ex- far exceed what you will see when you come into the dorm room, <laughs> also known as the Pirate Christian Radio Studios. Okay, Matt writes, he says, Once upon a time, Bibles were made of the stuff that would last for millennia. In fact, this is true. Matt, Matt, Matt's very right. I mean, if any of you have any of those old family Bibles, the ones that actually have, like, where you put in marriage, you know, who was married to whom and what date, old family Bibles were one of the ways that you would keep records regarding your family tree. And uh, they were meant to last a lifetime. Um, now, apparently, the manufacturers of the Green Bible expect us to compost it. Yeah, that, that sounds about right, Matt. Yeah, good point. All right, now, Kyle writes from, uh, boy, I'm going to mess this up, Eclair, Wisconsin. I want to say Eclair, but then in Eclair, that's like one of those chocolate cream puffy type things. So did they name a city after a chocolate cream puff in Wisconsin? It's Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin. Isn't everything named after cheese... Or don't they have like really? They they really have some really wild names for some cities in in Wisconsin, like Poughkeepsie and and uh, Waukesha and yeah Oshkosh and yeah stuff like that. So he uh, Kyle writes from um, from Chocolate Cream Puff, otherwise known as Eclair. Sorry, I'm I know I'm messing that up, and I apologize. But he he's got a good point here, and uh, using. Using the same methods that the guys from the Wittenberg door came up with a couple years ago. Uh, remember when the Prairie or J-Buzz was a big deal? And uh, the, the guys at the Wittenberg door lampooned that thing to death. And they had this wonderful piece they did called uh, The Prayer of Jezebel, Why God Wants You to Have Other People's Money. It, just a riot. Absolute scream. I have it so <laughs> I have it saved somewhere in my hard drive. But um, using that same methodology here, um, Kyle from from uh, Eclair, Wisconsin, is making the point that God actually hates trees. Apparently, he's not buying this whole Green Bible thing. So um, he writes, Okay, Mr. Green Bible, the other day you said that God loves trees, and it seems that segment uh, from that segment that trees are more important than people. Well, I beg to differ. God hates trees. Shocking to all of our creation care brother and sisters, but stick with me on this one. Is creation care some kind of a new care bear? What is a sign of God's curse? Why did some early Jews, Jew, Jewish apologists reject Jesus as the Messiah? The reason why is because God's curse is seen in trees. For anyone that is hung on a tree is cursed by God. That was a stumbling block for many Jews because uh, Jesus was hung on a tree and therefore was cursed by God. So trees are a sign of the curse of God. Uh, one other proof text for you, as I was reading Isaiah, and he was talking about the day of the Lord, i.e. the day of judgment. He, that is God, has some mean things to say about trees. 
And this is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. It says this, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills. I bet you anything, Kyle... I mean, you're on to something. I don't think Isaiah chapter 2, 12 through 14 is in green letters in the green letter Bible. God is, is here saying he's against the cedars and he's against oaks and he's against lofty mountains and uplifted hills. What kind of an environmentalist is God? Kyle continues. So from this great proof text, we can see that we do not need to save the earth, but we need, we need to start with rapid deforestation to clear out all of the trees from the planet, mainly oaks and cedars. <laughs> <sighs> okay, but I'm sure God hates pine trees, blue spruces, aspen, etc. And I also think God hates rainforests and the redwoods of northwestern America because those trees are from very, very lofty. Those are very lofty and lifted up trees. Those are such big trees that we must destroy them now. It's time to start to go kill a tree. It is in the Bible. Remember, God hates trees. Instead of being a, a tree hugger, we need to be tree killers to please the Lord. Okay, Kyle. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of trees in Wisconsin there, Kyle. Maybe you can show us the way. But, you know, he makes a good point. He makes a good point. Is that, you know, if you're going to read verses out of context, you can draw all kinds of ridiculously silly conclusions. And so, I mean, I think that this is an example of reductio ad absurdum on the part of uh, uh, Kyle from chocolate cream puff wisconsin and um i think he makes a good point in fact last night you know my wife and i were reading the scriptures and uh we were reading second kings chapter six and i ran across this little piece from the scripture and it says now the sons of the prophets of elijah said uh, to elijah See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan. Each of us uh, get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. And then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. He answered, I will go. And so he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Can you believe that? Here, Second Kings chapter 6, verse 4 says, Elisha and the prophets cut down trees. What are we to make of this? I bet that's not in green letters either. <laughs> this is this is just tragic stuff. <sighs> yeah. So, moving along here. Chris writes me. He wrote me on Facebook. And I'm going to mess up his name because I'm terrible with these. It's Chris Tickler. Tickler. I... T-E-I-C-H-L-E-R. Tickler. Um, don't know where he's from. There's our fax machine. <laughs> Hello? No. <laughs> he writes me, and I um, want to spend a little time on his uh, email, because it's a very good email, actually. And um, he says... Um, I just finished a f the few episodes you did on Granger Community Church. Those results are stunningly telling. It's frightening that this is one of the most influential churches in America. I, I agree with you, Chris. And he says, this is all leading up to my question for you. I, I read that you are a confessional Lutheran. I was wondering if you could tell me what that means. I have read the doctrines of the uh, Missouri Synod Lutherans and found myself agreeing with most everything I read, except for the saving work of baptism. 
I'm getting fed up with the evangel- evangelical church, and I'm wondering if I could find a home in the Lutheran church. Any thoughts would be uh, you'd be willing to share would be much appreciated. Thanks, Chris, and thanks for standing for the truth. Okay, Chris, you uh, first of all, um, I, I I'll be the first to tell you that not every church in the Missouri Synod is a church that I would recommend. Just like there are there are Baptist churches that have gone purpose driven, there are Lutheran churches that have done the same. And so, um, what you look, what you would need to look for in a Lutheran church is one that does word and sacrament. I I would prefer that uh, you find one that does the liturgy and the pastor. You know, really, really, really is giving you the gospel of Jesus Christ Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And the reason I would prefer that you would find one that's liturgical is because one of the wonderful things about the liturgy is that even if your pastor isn't the most dynamic preacher, and even if your pastor has an off day, uh, if your, your church is actually following the liturgy, you're guaranteed to get scads of God's word, and you're guaranteed to hear the gospel. Because the gospel is interwoven into the liturgy in such a way that um, the sermon um, isn't really the pinnacle crowning piece of it. It's just one part of the service. The critical pound, uh, crowning piece in a good liturgy is the Lord's Supper. You know, that's the crescendo. And so, um, if you you know, the, I, I like to believe that the, the that the fathers that preceded us in the Christian faith, um, you know, use the liturgy as a means of protecting themselves and ensuring that the gospel is preached and that the, the, the right emphasis is in the right place. So the question is, you know, would you, could you find a home in a Lutheran church? Absolutely you could. And I'll tell you this. I actually began attending a Lutheran church before I um, believed what the Lutheran church taught regarding baptism. Um, in a much a similar way, I became dissatisfied with what I was getting, especially in the Nazarene church, a steady diet of really overt... Uh, self-righteous, pharisaical, legalistic preaching without the gospel. And uh, it, it took me a while to wrestle through the whole baptismal issue. And um, the best way I could say it is, um, well, I promised to do a little bit of work on this, and I'm, I think this is a good time to do it. Okay, most evangelicals in America... Okay, they are they are not pedo Baptists. That is, they do not baptize infants and babies. Instead, the predominant teaching in American evangelicalism is is a doctrine that I used to believe and I used to teach, and that is is that the purpose of baptism is to show the world that you've become a Christian or that you've made a decision for Jesus Christ. Uh, baptism, Jesus, and ours. <laughs> okay, um, did I give you that? Oh, okay. Um, so the uh, the main the predominant teaching in American evangelicalism is is that the purpose of baptism is for you to tell the world that you've made a decision for Jesus. I used to believe this, and um, it wasn't until I began really wrestling with the scriptures on, the, on this issue, especially in my second and third year Greek classes, um, before I really made the change. And so I actually began attending Lutheran church before. I, I, I made the change regarding baptism. And so, um, Chris, what I would encourage you to do is spend some time reviewing what the scriptures teach on baptism and really allow the word to decide what it is that baptism does. And so what I'll do is I'm going to what I'm going to do is I, I've written a piece. Uh, it's a PDF. I'll put a link to it up to on today's uh, show uh, it, it called uh, God's Promises in the Waters of Baptism. And what I'm going to do 
is kind of walk you through this um, on the air, and you'll you'll get a feel for it. And um, the best, w- and this is this is where I would begin. Okay, um, what is the purpose of baptism? We've all heard that the standard answer to this question is that baptism is a believer's testimony to the world that he or she has accepted Jesus as their Savior. But have you ever taken the time to actually read what the Bible teaches regarding baptism? If you haven't, then you may be amazed to find that our Lord Jesus Christ has attached remarkably rich and comforting promises to the waters of baptism. Now, rather than tell you about them, I think it's best to actually show you them. So prepare to have your socks knocked off. Yes, these promises are that amazing. And um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through the clearest passages in the Scripture here regarding baptism and let God's Word tell you what it does. Okay? And what I'll do is I'll make the challenge. I know that there's some of you who are listening who absolutely are going to disagree with me about what baptism does, and this is your view. And what I would really ask you to do is prayerfully consider what God's Word teaches. Can you show me one passage of Scripture that actually teaches that the purpose of baptism is to show the world that you have made a decision for Jesus? If you can show me that passage, I would like to see it. Okay? And, and while you're looking for that, I'd like to read you some more. Okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 38, from Peter's great Pentecost sermon. In Acts 2, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records for us the words of Peter's great Pentecost sermon. During the climax of this amazing oration, the Apostle Peter tells his hearers that they are guilty of crucifying Jesus. Apparently this wasn't one of those seeker-sensitive messages. The passage tells us that upon hearing these words, those listening were cut to the heart and asked the apostles what they should do. In verse 38, Uh, Verse 38 of Acts chapter 2 records Peter's answer to their question. Here's what it reads. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me read that again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So according to the text... What was the purpose of this baptism? Think about it for a minute. Okay? Now, if you are answering with that, if you you use the word symbolize or represent, uh, if that's what you're thinking, that this symbolizes or represents the forgiveness of sins, take the word symbolize and represent and remove them from your mind. Okay? Why? Because they're not in the biblical text. Many people are tempted to put those words into their answers because it may be that they were taught that baptism is a symbol or that they use those words as a way of explaining the meaning of those verses. Either way, stick to what the Bible actually says. Don't add to it. Because by adding to it, you are in reality taking away from what it is saying. So think about that question again. According to Acts 2.38, what was the purpose of this baptism? Okay. The correct answer is, according to the text, the purpose of that baptism was for the forgiveness of their sins. Okay, For the forgiveness of their sins. John's saying, hey, you gotta, you got to pick up verse 39 too. Hang on. Acts 2. Okay, so reading it in context. The pro- oh, you know what? <laughs> 
Now, see, you're you're get, you're you're getting ahead, but if you read it in context, there's more. Actually, Peter says, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls." So, verse thirty-nine, uh, verse thirty-eight tells us what the baptism is for. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And verse 39 says who it's for, you and your children. Okay, just as a heads up, that's an important part. Yeah, and tech, yeah, yeah, technon, it's small child, small children. Okay, yeah, moving ahead. Okay, so so far, so far we've learned from Acts 2.38 that the purpose of baptism or what we've learned, what the Bible says about baptism is, is that in baptism, our sins are forgiven. Okay. Now take a look at what the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote regarding baptism in his letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter six, verses three and four. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So, according to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, according to the text, what were we baptized into when we were baptized? Okay? The answer to the question, by the way, if you want to put in the word symbolize or represent, take them out. Okay? that That's not what the text says. It doesn't say symbolize or represent. It doesn't speak in those terms. Okay? So according to Romans 6, uh, 3, 3, 4, what we were baptized into, the answer, the correct answer is we were baptized into Christ's death. And what verbs do these verses use in conjunction with baptism? Buried, raised, and live. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him. We were raised from the dead that we too may live a new life. Okay. Does it say anything in these verses so far about making an outward testimony to the world about making a decision for Jesus? No. So far, what we've learned is that, um, according to God's word, that in our baptism, our sins are forgiven, Acts 2.38, that we're baptized into Christ's death, Romans 6, 3 through 4, and that we are buried with Christ in order to live a new life, Romans 6, 3 through 4 again. Okay. Now, the Apostle Paul picks up, on baptism, he and he discusses it in Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-seven. He says, "For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ." So, my question, real quick, according to Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-seven, what were we clothed with when we were baptized? Well, answer: We are clothed with Christ. Okay, let's review the, what the Bible says so far about baptism, just from the passages I've read. In our baptisms, our sins are forgiven, we're baptized into Christ's death, we're buried with Christ in order to live a new life, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says that we're clothed with Christ. Does it say anything so far about making an outward statement to the world about... No, it doesn't. Okay. This is a fun one. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Okay. This is a this is interesting. You're gonna have to re, you might have to actually listen to this a couple times. This is an interesting promise regarding baptism in Colossians chapter two verses eleven and twelve. In him it says that means Christ. 
in Christ you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision that was done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, according to this passage, okay, what is baptism equated with? Well, the answer is it's equated with circumcision, okay? And not only that, it says that it, it, it equates it with circumcision and then says this is a circumcision that's not done by the hands of men, but is instead done by the hands of Christ. So what are the verbs are attached to it? Um, well, let's see. According to the, this verse, uh, it's equated with circumcision. Who's doing the circumcising? It's Christ. What other verbs are attached? Again, we get those buried and raised verbs. So when you work through the texts here so far, we've learned that in baptism, according to Acts 2.38, our sins are forgiven. Romans 6.3-4, we've learned that we were baptized into Christ's death. We were buried with Christ in order to live a new life. Galatians 3.27 says that in our baptisms we're clothed with Christ. Colossians 2.11-12 says that we were raised with Christ and that our hearts were circumcised by Christ in baptism. So far, every single one of these passages I've read tell us things that are rich promises regarding baptism. In fact, baptism at this point, because of all the things that are going on, our sins are being forgiven, we're being buried with Christ, we're raised with Christ, we're clothed with Christ, our hearts are circumcised by Christ. Baptism isn't a human work at all. All of these promises regarding baptism are things that human beings can't do. Baptism is God's work, not man's. So, I mean, that's that's just kind of a an example here of what you're seeing in Scripture regarding baptism. So, uh, Chris, absolutely, I think you should look into f- trying to find a good confessional Lutheran church. And what does it mean to be a confessional Lutheran? Let me answer that question just real simply. A confessional Lutheran is one who holds to the confessions of the Lutheran faith. What are the confessions of the Lutheran faith? They are found in the Book of Concord. Now, this is not this is not like the Book of Mormon, where you know it's some kind of other revelation. What confessional Lutherans believe that the Lutheran that the confessions are are a correct um, exposition of what the Bible teaches, and what you find in the confessions of the Lutheran faith are good propositional doctrines as to what we believe, teach, and confess, good defenses of those doctrines, and outlines as to why we believe what we believe. And so, as a confessional Lutheran, I hold to the confessions of the Lutheran Church, which are found in the Book of Concord. So that's basically what a confessional Lutheran is. And if you want to, you know, if you want to uh, find out more about the Book of Concord, there's a great site. I'll put a link up to it. Uh, it I forget... Uh, boc.org, I think bookofconcord.org, but I'll put a link up to it at fightingforthefaith.com so that you can take a, a farther look. But what I would encourage you to do, I, you know, go and find a good Lutheran church, you know, one that is follows the liturgy, the pastor understands what law and gospel is all about, and he gives you Christ and him crucified Sunday after Sunday. And then regarding the baptism issue, wrestle with the text. You know, wrestle with the text to see if what you've been taught uh, comports with scripture so with that we're going to go into our break and when we get back lucky you we're going to talk about this year's 2008 version of uh, paula white's day of atonement 
uh, scam that she's running. Oh, man. It's it's an abomination. I T-vote it. I'm sure there's more coming. <laughs> it's going to be like Day of Atonement Week here at Fighting for the Faith. So if you would like to email me uh, regarding baptism, anything I've said so far, the listener email that you've heard, or why you think that we need to send our Day of Atonement offerings to Paula White, please feel free to email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. Reaching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn Radio Program including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. Ah, heresy season. What a wonderful time of the year. Heresy Paula. Heading towards your wallet. (laughs) That's a good way to talk about it. Yes, uh... It's near the uh, Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is coming up October 9th. And Paula White, like last year, is uh, gearing up. And here's the good news. Last year, she only offered us seven specific promises regarding the Day of Atonement. This year, she's got eight. I mean, we're, 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 she's one-upped herself. I mean, she's gone overboard. She's she's so generous. And uh, if you... I'll have to put a link. I put up. I put. If you go to the Museum of Idolatry, which I happen to be the curator of, the, I'm the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. Uh, you, you can visit it at a littleleaven.com. I have a uh, the details of Paula White's the specific details of Paula White's scam for this year on the Day of Atonement. And uh, if you send in your Day of Atonement offering to her. She's promising you that you can experience increased, increased revelation, a fresh anointing, God's power, 
restoration, financial abundance, no shame but deliverance, and God's presence. If you send her your Day of Atonement offering. Yeah, it's... uh, Although I don't know any passages of Scripture that say if you send Paula White a Day of Atonement offering, that God will promise you these things. And she's apparently gleaning all of these blessings from Joel chapter 2. Ay, ay, ay. In fact, let's take a look at Joel chapter 2 because, you know, let's see here. Joel chapter 2. Using my handy-dandy computer Bible here. Uh, she says, okay, so here's the deal. Here, here's the eight blessings. Increase is found in Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Revelation, Joel chapter 2, verse 24. A fresh anointing, verse 24. God's power, verse 24. Um, restoration, verse 25. Financial abundance, uh, verse 26. And, uh, no shame but deliverance, verses 27 and 32. And God's presence in verse 28. Okay, let's see if Joel chapter 2 anywhere mentions uh, Paula White. Hang on a second here. I'm just going to do a quick word search in my computer Bible here. Uh, Okay, Paula White. Um, And let's read. We're going to limit the search parameters to the book of Joel. Here we go. Let's see. No, no, nothing there. All right, well, let's do a, a wider search here. Um, Paula White Atonement Offering. Okay, and we'll search the entire Old Testament to see if the Bible... No. Um, how about just Paula White? No, she's no... She's, Paula White's nowhere mentioned in the Old Testament. Okay, well, let's take a look at Joel chapter 2 then. Um, she's Although she's not mentioned by name here. Uh, let's read a little context. Uh, what I'll do is, is she's, she starts at verse 23. So um, here we go. Starting at verse 20, uh, this is the Lord speaking. He says, I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench of the foul smell of him will rise for he has gone. He has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Oh, I see. Uh, God's speaking to Israel. Right? Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication and has poured out down on you abundant rain uh, the early and the latter rain as before. Okay, that's verse 23. That doesn't say anything about sending Paula White a day of an atonement offering, and then you'll receive that. In fact, this isn't even about the day of atonement. Verse 24, The threshing floor shall be full of grain, and vats overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts had eaten, the hopper and the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I send among you. Boy, it sounds like this is God. You know, this is like the promises that come when God, re, you know, when Christ returns, right? Huh. Nothing in the book of Joel about uh, Paula White. Hmm. Okay. Let me read from the Paula White's website. 
Uh, Redemption was paid once for all who accept the atoning blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but it didn't end at the cross. It didn't? Didn't Jesus say it is finished? What did that mean? I think Greek was tetelestai. Was that that it? It is finished? Okay. Okay. Redemption was paid once for all who accept the atoning blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but it didn't end at the cross. Jesus had to enter the Holy of Holies and apply his blood to the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant once for all. On one special day, God gives you the opportunity to honor him to experience his presence, to release blessing and provision, and to be one with him through the mercy seat. The Day of Atonement is celebrated this year on October 9th, 2008, and it is your opportunity to experience God's power through eight specific promises of the atonement. The Day of Atonement is more than a ritual or ancient feast. It's a sacred covenant with God that proves his lordship in your life through your sacrifice. By obeying God's commands, you don't just say he is Lord, you show it. Ah, by obeying God's commands. Where does God say I command me to give money to you, Paula? On the Day of Atonement, no one appeared before God empty-handed. Every every man shall give as he is able. Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 through 17. Don't you dare show up to God empty-handed on the Day of Atonement. And here's the good news. Uh, Well, God wants Day of Atonement offerings. And apparently it's just money. Oh, oh. That, that's all he needs is some cash. Yeah. God apparently is uh, a little thin in the wallet. <laughs> Man. Um, don't miss God's divine appointment with you. Stand before the Lord with your very best atonement offering. This is what her, her website says. Stand before the Lord with your very best atonement offering. And there's a link there. Those words are actually are a hyperlink. And if you click to it, it goes to their donate online donation page. When you give $70 or more, you will not only be honoring God by giving something sacrificially from your heart, but you will also receive Paula's special day of atonement, atonement resource package as you honor God on his holiest day, October 9th, the day of atonement with a willing heart. Where Okay, here's the good news. We here at Pirate Christian Radio, and me as the host of Fighting for the Faith, don't want you to dare show up on the Day of Atonement empty-handed. I am looking out for you as your loving servant in Christ. I am looking out for you. And the good news is is that if you go to fightingforthefaith.com, according to Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement offerings are a ram, two male goats, a bull, and forget all that ephod stuff. That's just so old-fashioned. If you have pajama ephods, that's really cool. Um, but uh, we've given you the ability for you to not show up on the Day of Atonement empty-handed. And what we'd like you to do is go to fightingforthefaith.com, print out the PDF that we have linked there, and send it in to Paula White. Because you've got to obey God's word. Nowhere does it say in Scripture that we have to send Paula White money but we definitely want to make sure that we don't show up empty-handed on the Day of Atonement. So print out your Day of Atonement offering page. It includes a, photogra- a, a, a graphical representation of a ram, two male goats, and a bull, which is the, from Le- Leviticus 16, are the real requirements of the Day of Atonement. And send it in to Paula so that you can have this appointment with God and you wouldn't be empty-handed. Fightingforthefaith.com. Download that PDF. And so what we'll do here. <sighs> I think Roseboro's mentally ill. I'm talking about myself in third person now. <laughs> 
sure sign that I've got a screw loose somewhere. All right, Paula White, um, I'm going to play for you segments. This is from this morning's program. It, 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 here in uh, Southern California at 4.30 in the morning, Paula White's program plays on the Trinity Blasphemy Network, TBN, ch- Channel 40, as it used to be known. Um, it's 4.30 in the morning. Of course, you know, I am not pious enough to get up at 4.30 in the morning to, you know, to, to watch this live, this, this groundbreaking show that teaches you how that you can turn in your day of atonement offerings. But the good news is, is that I have a faithful TiVo. And my faithful little TiVo did its work, and it recorded Paula White's latest stuff on the day of atonement stuff I and mean, bovine scatology is probably a better term but i want you to hear some of this okay and uh, she's got rabbi um messner on with her and um uh, boy this is so deep it's unfathomable here, here we go Today, from the Holy Land Experience in Orlando, Florida, Paula, along with her guest, internationally acclaimed Bible teacher, Rabbi Ralph Messer, take you on a journey through the Holy of Holies and into a contemporary understanding of God's unconditional gift of grace. Stay tuned. Yeah, by the way, th- this is another example of, uh, of tantalizing stuff. Remember, I, yeah, I was t- reviewing Rick Warren's sermon yesterday, and I was talking about the Greek myth of Tantalus. Actually, I looked it back up. It's Tantalus. That's his name. I was thinking Tantal. I'm getting old, and my memory, you know, it's terrible. The worst part about getting old is that your memory does some strange things. Stuff that was so sharp when you were 20 is really fuzzy <laughs> when you're older. The, uh, it's, the, it's the Greek myth of Tantalus. He was apparently the, uh, the, the illegitimate child of Zeus and some nymph. And uh, he cheesed off the gods, and uh, and so his punishment was is that uh, he had to stand in a pool of water with a fruit-bearing tree right above his head, and uh, he was thirsty and starving to death because every time he would try to reach down to get into the water to get a drink, the water would move away from him, and every time he tried to reach up to grab a piece of fruit, the tree would just get right beyond his reach. And so, you know, it, that's where we get the word tantalizing, and it's from the Greek myth of Tantalus. Okay, so here's another example. She's going to talk about the grace of God, um, and so, so it, that's the one thing I hate about these types of preachers is is that they can actually verbalize the gospel and tell you about Christ's forgiveness and grace, and they'll hold it out for you, and just and as you try to reach for it, they yank it back to where it's just beyond your reach. It's tantalizing. We've got the gospel. We've got the gospel, but we ain't giving it to you. That's what happens here. So this is another tantalizing thing of the gospel. Tantalizing. You'll never touch it. Never taste it. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's wearing more makeup now. Last year, it wasn't quite as much makeup. I don't like the changes she's made in her makeup. We need to, you know, have somebody who understands makeup take a look at this and do some before and after work and tell us what's going on here. Welcome to one of the most significant and most important programs you will ever partake on, on Paula Today. I bring you greetings from the Holy Land Experience in beautiful Orlando, Florida. We are so privileged that TBN has allowed us to film here, and we are in the holy place. And I have no stranger to you, but... 
Apparently, the holy places moved from Arkansas to Orlando, Florida. The Holy Land experience, it was awful nice of TBN to let them broadcast from within the Holy of Holies. I wonder if they had to go through the entire cleansing ritual before they went in there. One of the leading experts, internationally known, foremost, greatest teachers that God has raised up for such a time as this of the Torah, Rabbi Ralph Messer. So good to have you, Professor Rabbi. Thank you. It is such a blessing. And to me, this is the first time I believe filming has ever happened here. Tremendous. Isn't it exciting? It really is. (laughs) I I have goosebumps. I feel like I, I can't articulate like a kid in a candy shop because this is just, I understand the significance and the vital importance. And yes. to me, it's just the kiss of God, the cosmic kiss, the favor. Yeah, I think I'm in a dream. I'm a rabbi. I'm actually sitting in, in elements that I've been teaching on for years, but physically they're in front of me. So I'm excited, very excited for today. It is so amazing because this is really the emblem of God. Yes. I mean, this is it. Yes. Everything from Genesis to Revelation exactly. uh, is embodied in this setting and of course, behind us is the Holy of Holies. Yes. And uh, Rabbi, October 9th is the Day of Atonement. Yes. Begin to teach us the significance yeah. from our Hebraic roots to God. This is His appointment day. Sure. God, it's His most holy day. Yes. And He has set appointments with mankind and their patterns and principles that we partake of as New Testament yes. believers. Okay, now, uh, i got to pause here for a second. Uh, set you up here. Paula is saying that there's patterns and principles that we're supposed to be following, you know, and as 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 Christians, um, it, regarding the Old Testament practice of the Day of Atonement. Well, Paula, if that were true, then shouldn't we be doing all of the patterns and principles of the Day of Atonement as laid out in the Bible? I mean, here Rabbi Messner is going to lay out for you the Old Testament Torah teaching. Notice he's an expert in the law. (laughs) He's an expert in the law, and he's laying out the Torah teaching uh, regarding the Day of Atonement. And my question is, if she was really, really concerned about us following the principles and the patterns of the Day of Atonement, then shouldn't we be getting like, you know, for sending in our best Day of Atonement offering, shouldn't we be getting like the entire script for all the things that we're supposed to do for the Day of Atonement? You know, the whole, not just not just sending Paula her you know, some money. Okay, because what it boils down to, this is a scam for money, just like last year's. Um, why isn't she encouraging us to do everything that's written in the in the Torah regarding what we should be doing it, it, for the Day of Atonement? So listen to Rabbi Messner, and notice he's going to lay out the Old Testament teaching regarding the Day of Atonement and the ten be- special days and stuff like that, and ask yourself, is this what Paul is encouraging us to do? Because at the end, all she wants is money. Exactly. That we cannot abandon the foundations of our faith. Yes. And help us to understand what God's plan is for us and how we participate in God's way of doing things. I absolutely. I love working with you, you know, talking with you about this. Basically, what we're looking at right now on Yom Kippur, and this is, um, I think, one, you're one of the first Christian pastors and teachers that I've ever seen actually tackle it on a national basis. Simply, be- Well, yeah, she's the only, quote, Christian, using the loosest definition of the word Christian, to tackle this because uh, Christ actually dealt with the Day of Atonement once for all by becoming our sacrifice for us, the, the Day of Atonement. The, you know, the blood of rams and bulls and goats doesn't really atone for us. Only Christ's blood does. 
And so, uh, because it's always one of those things that we go back and to Calvary and we think, well, what are we celebrating Yom Kippur for when we, everything has been done at Calvary? If I uh, that's a great question, Rabbi Messner. In fact, I have a passage of, the, of scripture I'd love to read to you um, from Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. Let me uh, let me set this up for you properly. Um, Galatians chapter four talks about the law versus the gospel. Huh? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get there. I'm gonna actually read it in context. Okay. And so Paul, if you if you read it, if you start in chapter three, and in fact, and really at the tail end of chapter two, Paul is making the case that the law can't save you. And remember, this is the letter that Paul opens up where he tells the Galatians, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one already preached, let him be eternally condemned. The Judaizers had come into the Galatian churches and taught them that if you don't follow the Torah and uh, have your boys snipped and clipped, then uh, then you ain't really a Christian and you ain't saved. They were mixing uh, the Torah with, with the gospel. And Paul says of them, let them be eternally condemned, burn in hell forever. Um, of course, he wasn't very politically correct or seeker sensitive. So um, in talking about these things, uh, starting in verse 8, go back and read it in context, though. I recommend it. But I'm gonna, for the sake of time on the program, I'm going to start in verse 8 here. It says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved by those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I might have labored over you in vain. Hmm. Paul writing to he, Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, come as I, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that I, it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God and as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify that if, that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and have given them to me. I have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out and, to, and that you may make much of them. It's always good to be much. Uh, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. So Paul is saying. Here, specifically in verse 10, he says, You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I might have labored over you in vain. Why would you go back to the Torah? Writing to the Colossian church, Colossians chapter 2, let me read this. Okay, Starting at verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all and the rule and all authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God and who raised him from the dead. You and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So 
the law and its legal demands. Okay, and the record of debt that stood against us, Christ is nailed to the cross. You can literally say that the 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 words on that on that say debt paid in full. Okay. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are Old Testament things. Okay? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you on insisting on asceticism and worship of angels or going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together. So Paul in the, you know, writes to the Colossians pretty much the same thing. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you regarding uh, Old Testament festivals, new moon celebrations, or a Sabbath. So here we've got Paul of White literally trying to resurrect the Day of Atonement and put a Christian spin on it, so to speak. And why is she doing this? Because she wants... Money. Let's continue. Obviously, we're going into extra innings for a little bit, so stay with us. Hey, me. I'm going to take you through Hebrew lens yes. and talk with you um, what, what this is all. Passover basically is what we did at Calvary was a picture of a mirrored image of Yom Kippur. You know, on Passover, of course, we know that there was um, not only a king crown, but there was one who deserved to die, but of course was traditionally released at Passover, um, which was Barabbas, Bar meaning son, Abba, Abba, son of the father. He was released, and then, of course, Yeshua died on our behalf. Right. And so what we see there, exact parallel picture, now we go into the fall feast of God. The prophetic feast of God. And those fall feasts of God, of course, we look at the picture of Yom Kippur mirrors, of course, Passover. On, 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 on Yom Kippur, we're going to see two goats, um, the picture of the Azazel, one that's sent out, right. released, of course, with our sins on it. It's going to be, and then one perfect one, of course, that's sacrificed again. So, okay, so what he's doing is he's giving a Jewish explanation of the parallel between the, the Passover. And um, the Day of Atonement. Now, remember, from Leviticus chapter 16, the requirements of the Day of Atonement are two male goats. Okay, and so he's making the parallel here, basically saying that this is very similar to Christ's Day of Atonement, which is interesting. This might be a valid point, actually, rather interesting, is that uh, that on the Day of Atonement, there were two male goats. One, there were lots cast for him. One was set for Free actually was sent off into the desert, and the other was became a sacrifice. Okay, one was the scapegoat. So he's making the claim that uh, at the, at our at the real day of atonement, which is Christ's crucifixion, Jesus was our sacrifice, and Barabbas was sent free. So basically, Barabbas was like the one sent into the desert. Okay. Well, let's go back in for a second and draw a picture for Christians. Why is it you and I today, after the blood of Jesus, why would we be sitting on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement when we think, well, we already, the blood of Jesus already took care of that atonement? Because the fall feasts, which are yet to come, are a picture of a wedding. So we as Jews, well, of course, you know, we dress up. That- okay, so as, as a Jew, he's talking about, as a rabbi, he's talking about how during the fall feasts, which is what Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Rosh Hashanah and all this kind of stuff is about, say that they dress up. And it's symbolic of a wedding. My question is, why isn't Paula White, you know, giving us all the stuff that we need in order to follow this pattern, right? Because it's all about patterns and principles. Shouldn't we be receiving from Paula, you know, like a costume 
gifts, you know, like a whole costume setup that we can wear so that we can, you know, we and, you know, and have Rosh Hashanah celebrations and festivals at our churches. Right. Rather than Oktoberfest this year, we can we can we can have the Day of Atonement. We can all dress up like grooms and brides and uh, and they can blow the shofar and all that kind of stuff. That picture of, of course, the sounding of the trumpet was when the groom was coming for the bride. That was Rosh Hashanah or Yom Turah, the blowing of the trumpets. Ten days later, called the Ten Days of Awe, where in those ten days, we as Jews, I go to you. Yeah, with her, her version, it's the Ten Days of Huh? You and you go to me, and we make it right with each other. Right. Because we're coming up to Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, we all dress in white, and we go through the five services by tradition. And what we do in Yom Kippur is the selection of the bride. Mm-hmm. So the groom, sounds the shofar, he's coming back to get his bride. On Yom Kippur, he selects his bride. And by tradition in Israel, right after Yom Kippur, in the vineyards of Israel, they play this out still to this very day, that what happens is they go and the brides all go to these vineyards. And they all dress up in white uh, garments they, mm-hmm. and they exchange them with each other. And then the grooms, traditionally, if they made it through Yom Kippur, you know, forgiven yeah. by God, <laughs> then they go ahead and they select a bride right after. Now, this sounds like a relevant celebration. Okay, so here's the deal. Since Paula White is saying that we need to follow the patterns and principles of the Old Testament here for the Day of Atonement, and, you know, who who understands the uh, the Day of Atonement better than people who are practicing Jews? He's explaining how the Jews celebrate it. it this involves dressing up as gr- bride and groom, you know, the singles. This, this, this would be a great singles ministry outreach, you know. Right. Yeah. So what happens is you can celebrate the Day of Atonement at your church and the brides can dress, you know, the single girls can dress up in brides costumes and, and the guys can wear a tux. Will modernize this, and after you go through the five services that you're supposed to go to, then the guys can go and pick their brides. I mean, right? God is a God of patterns and principles. If this is how the Jews were doing it, then hey, you know, we got to follow this pattern and principle too. I tell you, this would be a great singles ministry outreach. You you wouldn't have any singles left in your in your church after this. You know, forget that dating thing. You just hey I'll, hey woman, I'll take you. You know, hopefully it won't be like kickball, you know, because, you know, when I was or, you know, back in the day when I was in elementary school and they would pick teams, I would never get picked first. Why? Because I was a nerd. So, you know, you know, uh, that'd be terrible. Can you imagine the self, you know, if you're like the last bride picked, how awful you'd feel. But see, it also has to happen in a vineyard. Yom Kippur, and the bride, of course, um, waves herself and decorates herself and says, I, you know, select me. Oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. And then after that, they go into the Feast of Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the celebration phase. So you had a betrothal phase on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Turah. Right. Um, then you had a wedding phase on Yom Kippur. And then the celebration phase where a husband and wife have intimate relationships called the Feast of Tabernacles. See, that's when you can do your, your, sec, your sex series. You know, right after the picking of the brides, you know, you go into the Feast of Tabernacles and then you can do you can have your sermon series on sex. You yeah, you should. That would be appropriate. You know, that, in fact, that would be really relevant. Practical advice you can give. Where we tabernacle together. It's amazing, Rabbi. I'm sitting here and I'm getting yeah. the picture. And yeah. I agree with you. While much of the time in our Christian faith in New Testament believers, yes. people would say, we have made the emblem of Christianity the cross. And why that is very significant, yes. the true emblem of Christianity to me 
is the mercy seat. Exactly. It is that he took his blood according to Hebrews. Okay, so uh, Paula White here is uh, making the recommendation that we replace the cross as the emblem of Christianity and replace it with the mercy seat from the Ark of the Covenant and placed it on that once and for all. And so if we don't understand God's way of doing things, Exodus chapter 12 says that the Day of Atonement is an eternal ordinance. And so this feast in the Hebrew, and you can bring correction to me anytime, means uh, divine appointment. It's God's appointment, like a Kairos moment, that God said, this is my appointment. And Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, really is redemption. It's the time of where we are... uh, understand and honor God for what he has done for us. And then I believe the significance also in the natural of spiritual where we are in the big picture of God. That we're in the most exciting days of church history. That that trumpet, I mean, Gabriel really is licking his lips, you know, is blowing in God's... Yeah, I don't think you should be excited because when Gabriel blows that trumpet, um, Paula White, I I just don't think that they're going to be harvesting you with the wheat. <sighs> gathering, because I do believe we are going to see the greatest in gathering and harvest, and when that's where Joel yeah. prophesies that latter and former that's rain right. coming together. It's a, it's a rehearsal. It it's really a is. Rehearsal. Uh, in Malachi 4, the... Oh, okay, so the Day of Atonement's a rehearsal, and God's got a patterns and principles, so we need to we need to be rehearsing. You know, Paula, are you going to give us the Day of Atonement rehearsal kits? I really would like to know, you know, because if God's a God of patterns and principles, then we've got to follow the patterns and principles in the Bible, right? Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> you know, there's more to this. There's a lot more to this. Maybe I should just get to the sales pitch, and then we can cover the rest of it maybe tomorrow or the next day. Because there's uh, – oh, by the way, tomorrow I'm I'm going to be out. We're going to have a play a best-of show. I'll be back in the studio on Friday. But uh, let's pick up towards the end of this, and you can kind of hear what's going on here as they pitch you for uh, your Day of Atonement offerings. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Here we go. You don't want to show up before the Lord empty-handed. Here we go. The Holy Land Experience in Orlando, Florida, with more prophetic promises concerning God's redemptive plan for man, as it is revealed to us through the Ark of the Covenant and in the Day of Atonement. It's not so much that we do what's wrong, as much as not doing enough of what is right. If it's imp- if I'm not doing enough of what's right, then I'm, am, I, am I not doing what's wrong? What kind of doublespeak is that? important to God. It must be important to us. And God has set an appointment with mankind, his holy day, the day of atonement this year, October the 9th, as recorded in Exodus chapter 12. It is an eternal ordinance that God says there are specific instructions that he gives mankind to obey and to honor him for what he has done for you. He has redeemed you by the blood of the lamb. And as you have been well taught today and will continue to be taught when we do it God's way. He says, I want to give you an opportunity. As Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17 says, he declares, don't stand before me empty handed, but to bring a sacrificial seed and offering 
according to every man's ability as you've been blessed by God. I want you to call the toll-free number right now and sow your very best seed, your atonement offering. We know the book of Joel says that there are many blessings that God releases as we obey. Increase, deliverance, God's presence, protection. There's so many more. But the important thing is that you follow the principle, the plan, and the pattern of God and you do it His way. When you send in that atonement offering, I will send you Rabbi Master and my teaching that will help you understand to a greater degree. And for your best ministry gift of $70 or more, we will also send you what I believe is the emblem of our faith, and that is the mercy seat, and that is the holy place. And we will send this to you. Rabbi? Made in China (laughs) under communist slave labor. Probably cost 50 cents to make, but, uh, you know, you can buy it for your best atonement offering of $70 or more. Because God's into patterns and principles and in Paula. There's some crazy stuff I had to skip just for time's sake. I, I got to go back and share it with you. I'll probably do that on Friday. Okay, so folks, again, being your servant in Christ, I don't want you... To be empty-handed on the Day of Atonement. Don't want you to be empty-handed. Go to fightingforthefaith.com and download the Paula White Day of Atonement offering PDF. Print it out and send it to Paula White's ministry. We've already had people from from other countries. From I received a comment, uh, an email from somebody in England who is sending in his Paula White Day of Atonement offering so that you don't have to be empty-handed and you can experience God's blessing and increase. And uh, somebody uh, somebody made a comment and asked, well, the, of the eight things that God, of the eight promises that God offers here, um, increase, revelation, fresh anointing, God's power, restoration, and financial abundance, no shame, and deliverance. What's the minimum amount that you need to give in order just to get the financial abundance part? If you don't want the increase, revelation, or God's power, or restoration, you, you might. I think that the our the offering that we're having you send in might be just the minimum amount that you need in order to get financial abundance. You know, yeah, in fact, you can, if, if, you, if you just want the, the, that specific promise of the atonement for the Day of Atonement, then write that on the back of your offering and when you send it in to Paula White. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Download, it's right at the top of our website. Download the PDF, print it out, and send it to Paula. Send in your Day of Atonement offering. You know, it's a, a ram, two goats, and a bull. And this whole thing is a bunch of bull. <laughs> oh man! Good night. Uh, it's a good, yeah, good segue. Hey, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to Fighting for the Faith. And if you would like to email me and sound off or spout off or let me know I'm out of control, please feel free to do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, actually, we'll miss you tomorrow, and uh, I'll catch you guys on, on Friday. Lord bless you.